G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. And Happy New Year! This program is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Stick Together is made possible through the financial support of the Community Radio Foundation and we come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. 2019 was the 165th anniversary of the Eureka Stockade. This event on the goldfields in Ballarat, Victoria is a landmark event in workers' rights history. When miners fought back against mining fees placed by the government of the day, Today's program will focus on the commemorations of the day. We discovered when we were following this story that in fact the bloody events of 1854 in Ballarat did not come out of the blue. In fact, there were earlier events with a mass rally of miners at Shooton outside Castlemaine and a following rally in Bendigo led by Chartists who had come to Australia with the mass immigration inspired by gold, or perhaps earlier, that finally led to the confrontation with troops in Ballarat. Like all good campaigns, there is always a build-up. I'm sure there are workers' events of importance in your own state, which we would like to follow up too, so drop us a line at sticktogether at 3cr.org.au. Anyway, today we first go to the 4pm vigil on Tuesday, December the 3rd in Ballarat, where a few hardy souls mark the actual time and day of the battle between troopers and miners. Joe Toscano from Revive the Eureka Spirit opened proceedings. We've come here for the last 18 years to uh, celebrate this important event. Every year... We gather here on the spot where the Eureka Rebellion took place, on the very spot where men and women were involved in a revolt which changed the course of Australian history. So why are we here on a wet, windy, cold morning? Why are we here on a wet, windy, cold morning? Well, we're here to pay our respects to men and women who changed the course of Australian history. We're here to pay our respects to men and women who 165 years later have an impact, continue to have an impact on our society. And if there's anything that sums up the essence of the Eureka Rebellion, It's the Eureka Oath. And the Eureka Oath encapsulates the central elements. That's right. The Eureka Oath encapsulates the central elements of the Eureka Rebellion. And I'll go through the oath word by word. And I'll explain why I think it's such an important uh, oath. It says, we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. I mean, I think the first word is quite extraordinary. It says, we. It doesn't say, you know, white Anglo-Saxon males. It doesn't say 
uh, you know, uh, Christians or Hindus or whatever. It says, we, we the people, we swear by the Southern Cross. Why the Southern Cross? If you look up on this, in the sky during a clear morning, which I can assure you this morning isn't, it's overcast and it's dark and it's, uh, you can't see a star, you'll see two constellations which are important. One is the Southern Cross and the other one is the Morning Star. The Morning Star is the symbol of the independence struggle in West Papua. Uh, the Morning Star is the star on their flag and the Southern Cross is the symbol of the Eureka Rebels. Why the Southern Cross? Because these were men and women who came from all corners of the world, of all colours, of all religions, of all uh, spoken cultures and languages. And when they came here to find their fortune and they looked up in the sky, they saw the Southern Cross, a, a constellation which you cannot see in the Northern Hemisphere. And it reminded them, it reminded them that this was a new country, a new land, in which they could build a new future free of the strictures and class divisions and divisions and the hatreds of the Northern Hemisphere. So we swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other. As individual miners, they had no hope of confronting the British authorities an empire which at that period was described as an empire in which the sun never set. And this ragtag band of men and women here in Ballarat believed that they could together change their future. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. They believed that they had rights and liberties which they were born with, which no government or corporation or religious institution could take away from them. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. So how did it all come about? And I think it's important we understand the background. When Victoria was first colonised in 1835, it was colonised in the most brutal fashion. And for the sake of profit and sheep, a once vibrant people that had lived on this, in this state and in this country for over 60,000 years were slaughtered in the most indiscriminate man manner so that people with assets could actually use the land to grow sheep to export wool and make a profit. It was that simple. That was the simple equation. Victoria at that stage had what was called the Legislative Council and by 1854, 19 years after coloni the colonisation process began, the whole of Victoria had been divided into 700 squats, 700 squatocracies. So 700 people owned the whole of Victoria. When gold was first discovered in 1851, they tried to hide <coughs> that fact. And the reason they were concerned is if the, their sheep labour, their ticket of leave men and women, ex-convicts who had come down to Victoria and uh, new migrants who had come to Victoria, 
realised and found out that they could make, possibly, you know, make a go of gold mining, they would rush away from their work and leave their employers with nobody to tend their sheep. So legislation was passed in the Legislative Council which decided that every miner would be taxed for the privilege of mining. Not, no tax was levied on the gold which is extracted from the earth, but the tax was levied on every miner to prevent working people from flocking to the gold fields. So when they arrived at the gold fields for a small patch of land, and we're talking about three metres by three metres, they are expected to pay a licence fee of over five pounds a month. At the same time, with the formation of the Victoria Police in 1853, the police were very poorly paid and they received a commission for every miner they found who didn't have a licence. So over the next few years, Disputes grew around Victoria, in Bendigo, in Castlemaine, in Creswick, and the list goes on and on. Disputes between the state authorities, represented by the Queen Victoria, and the miners. Now, in Ballarat, on the 11th of November, 1854, was formed the Ballarat Reform League. And this is the organisation which was instrumental in creating the Eureka Rebellion. The Ballarat Reform League, formed on the 11th of November, formed the backbone of the movement. And it conducted its affairs in an exceptionally democratic way. Not based on the concept of representative democracy, where you give a representative a signed blank check to make decisions for you for the next three to four years. A democracy which was based on direct democracy where the people involved in a decision made those decisions through mass meetings. And monster meetings of 15 to 20,000 people were held in Ballarat at Bakery Hill, where we'll go uh, later on this morning. And at these meetings, decisions were made, delegates were uh, sworn in, and they negotiated with the government of the day on uh, issues regarding that confronted them. Now the authorities were concerned about the possibility of an open rebellion and a naval disciplinary of the, na of the name of Hotham was called in to be the new governor of Victoria. Now Governor Hotham believed that it was through force that they would be able to break this rebellion and as more and more troops came into Ballarat from around Victoria as more and more troops came into Victoria to try to control the situation uh, tempers flared and on the 29th of November 1854 at the monster meeting at Bakery Hill the Southern Cross flag was uh, raised and a, and a band of about 500 miners came back that same afternoon and swore the Eureka Oath at Bakery Hill and came here and erected the Eureka Stockade. 
the 1st and 2nd of December, we had thousands of people here. Over 5,000, on the 2nd of December, over 5,000 people were marching because of this and drilling and getting ready for confrontation. Because by this point, the miners had elected their own leaders, they'd formed their own divisions, they were ready to defend their rights and liberties. As the 20th and 40th regiments came in, we found that uh, tensions flared on the gold fields. On the 3rd of December, Sunday the 3rd of December, 1854, around this time, the troops, the Victorian Mounted Police and troops from the 12th and 40th Regiment started to wind their way across from the encampment and camp road where uh, the Ballarat Trades Hall is today down here. But by the miners believing that it was Sunday and they wouldn't be attacked on a holy day, had basically vacated to a large degree the stockade, which was only about an acre in sight. And only about 104 miners were left in the stockade when the uh, troops raided. It was all over in 15 to 20 minutes, we're told. But it wasn't all over in 15 to 20 minutes. As the troops on their mounted ho on their uh, horses and the police on their horses overran the stockade, the pikemen, about 30 miners with long pikes which were designed to uh, break the reins of the horses and dismount uh, the uh, soldiers and uh, police stood their ground giving the rest of the miners the time to escape out of the stockade. Now remember the stockade was surrounded by mining shafts, small businesses, tents, families living in tents and by this time there was the tents were on fire, there was shooting, there were miners dying, there were people dead on the ground and what actually happened is that men and women were fleeing everywhere. And then for the next three hours, the Victoria Police, which was formed in 1853, went around looking for gold, slaughtering people. So what we had was not a Eureka Rebellion, but a Eureka Slaughter, which to a large degree was carried out by the authorities. And by the end of the slaughter, around 50 people had died. Do you think this would be the end of it? A small rebellion in a faraway corner of the British Empire. A small rebellion, but you can die. Within 24 hours, there were demonstrations and mass meetings around Victoria. People were aghast at what occurred. And the government, faced with a revolution in Victoria, decided to try to find a political solution to what essentially was a political problem. Access to land, access to resources. And within 12 months, the leaders of the rebellion, Humphrey and Laylaw, were members of parliament. Within 12 months, an alternative parliament had been set up within 100 metres of the Victorian parliament, which meant for the next 10 years. And for the next decade, 
for the next decade. People, for the next decade, people were involved in uh, struggle and legislation to break the power of the sportocracy and to break the hole the squatters had on the land. You are listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. Today we are marking the 165th year anniversary of the Eureka Stockade on the goldfields of Ballarat in 1854, an event that began with miners burning their mining licences, led to the building of a stockade against the government and the final assault by troops, which led to an estimated 22 to 60 killed miners, 12 wounded, 120 captured and many on the run. An event that led to mass demonstrations outside the courts and finally changes in how the settlement was governed. While some commemorate an event at 4am on the site of the event on Tuesday, December the 3rd, on Thursday at the Maritime Union of Australia Rooms in Island Street, West Melbourne, the Spirit of Eureka Dinner was well attended and Dirk, a scaffolder, proud union member and Spirit of Eureka committee member, gave a memorable speech. We are gathered on stolen land. Sovereignty of this land has never been ceded. And Spirit of Eureka stands in solidarity with First Peoples in their struggle for justice, self-determination and against the ongoing colonisation that continues, to get, continues today. Firstly, I'd just like to say a few words of thanks. Uh, thanks to the MUA for hosting us here again tonight. They are... A... <laughs> They're great supporters of, uh, of the progressive movement and uh, they always, always um, offer their venues for, for all sorts of meetings and things, so it's really greatly appreciated. And lastly, I want to thank everyone who's come along tonight. You could have chosen to be anywhere else, but you're here with us to commemorate this important anniversary in the history of Australia's working class struggles. And it's an important uh, event that has great... Uh, resonance with our struggles that are going on today, both uh, for workers and should I mention that Pauline Hanson did us a favour today? (laughs) Alright, alright, enough of that. (laughs) Settle down, please. The theme we chose for tonight's event is continuing the struggle for an independent Australia and the fight for workers and democratic rights. The connection to the ongoing fight for workers and democratic rights is probably pretty obvious. Eureka was an inspiration in the formative years of the trade union movement and its values of solidarity, defiance and militant struggle continue to resonate in union and workers' struggles today. Eureka also played a pivotal role in the formation of Australian democracy and the legacy of the rebels' fight against injustice and unjust laws remains just as relevant today as our democratic rights are slowly being eroded by a creeping police state. But what about Australian independence? It will be 165 years ago tomorrow, on November 29, 1854, that over 10,000 gold miners and their supporters from some 20 different countries and cultures gathered at Bakery Hill on the diggings near Ballarat in a mass meeting. They met in protest and rebellion against the gross injustices of the miners' licence and the harsh and undemocratic conditions imposed on them by the brutal and oppressive British colonial government. And on that day, 
A flag was raised for the first time. That flag. This flag. Today, of course, we know it as the Eureka flag, but it, it wasn't immediately called the Eureka flag. Henry Seacamp, the editor of the Ballarat Times, who was a great agitator of the demands of the miners at, at the time, he referred to it as the Australian ensign, or the Australian flag. Sir Charles Hotham, in a report to his superiors back in Britain, who was the lieutenant governor of uh, the colony of Victoria at the time, he called it the Australian flag of independence. And so it was. The rebels were in open defiance against the British colonial government. The general thrust of their actions and their demands was for an independent republic that gave rights and liberties to the ordinary working people. That was then. 165 years later, Spirit of Eureka continues to organise around the idea of a genuinely independent Australia. But independence from what? And for who? And what might an independent Australia look like? Certainly it would be a republic with a new constitution that does away with the historically outdated British monarchy as our head of state, and we would probably have a new flag. But that alone would not be enough to make us independent, because the power that dominates this country is no longer British. We are now part of a different empire, the US empire. An independent Australia would not be integrated into and subordinated to the US military and its plans for imperialist wars around the world. It would have an independent and peaceful foreign policy based on the principles of self-defence and mutual respect between sovereign countries. It would end the US-Australia alliance, remove US Marines from Darwin, uh, remove US military bases from Australian soil such as Pine Gap in the Northern Territory and Northwest Cape in WA. Our governments, both Liberal and Labor, would not be falling over themselves to pay tribute to Uncle Sam and our special joined-at-the-hip relationship with America. A truly independent Australia would be independent of all big powers. An independent Australia would have a government that does not abandon but protects and defends the rights of its peoples and citizens like Julian Assange. Of course... Of course, his only crime has been to expose the war crimes of the US and allow ordinary people around the world the chance to learn the truth behind the actions of our governments and major corporations. Julian Assange should be greeted as a great Australian, but instead our government ignores his democratic rights because the US demands it. Economically, Australia is dominated by foreign capital and multinational corporations, most of which pay very little or no tax at all. Take our huge mining and resources sector as just one example. It's about 90% owned by foreign investors. Australia is currently the second biggest exporter of liquefied natural gas in the world. Qatar in the Middle East is the biggest. The single largest producer and exporter of Australia's gas is the American energy giant Chevron. Then there's ExxonMobil and Shell and a few other multinationals, all of which are climate-destroying criminals. These multinationals export so much of our gas that there are now plans underway to import gas because apparently we have a gas shortage. <laughs> I'll say it again. Australia, the second largest exporter of LNG, is about to start importing LNG because we don't have enough gas to meet the needs of the Australian people. Does this sound like the logic of a country that is independent? 
That's right. <laughs> well done. In 2018, Qatar made over $26 billion from the taxes on the sale of its gas. Australia exported a similar amount of gas, but received less than $1 billion. What does that mean for people like you and me? It means billions and billions of dollars that we don't have to spend on public schools, hospitals, teachers, nurses, apprentices, infrastructure, public transport, public housing, pensions, new start. The list of services for the Australian people that we could fund with that money is endless. But we can't, because we don't own this country. The multinationals do. And, and that's who would benefit from a truly independent Australia. Us, the working people of this country. An independent Australia that's run to serve the interests of the people, not to maximise the bottom line of the multinationals. This control of Australia by the multinationals distorts our economy. It has practically turned Australia into a giant quarry. We sign free trade agreements that sell out local workers and industries and strip away our national sovereignty. It has meant the loss of our manufacturing base and the destruction of our local shipping and maritime industry. And it's something that's quite remarkable when you consider that we are an island nation and that is now, we are now almost completely dependent on foreign flag vessels to, to supply us with fuel and goods. And our friends at the MUA could tell us all about that. So that's why we say continuing the struggle for an independent Australia is just as relevant as it was 165 years ago when the Eureka rebels first raised their flag. I just want to say one final thing about the struggle for an independent Australia, and in many ways it's probably the most important. In 1788, this country that we call Australia was invaded by British colonialism. What followed was a genocide and dispossession of the first peoples who have lived on this land for tens of thousands of years. The massive amount of natural resources and wealth that this country possesses has been stolen from the First Peoples. We can't change the past, but to create the future that we want to see, we need to face up to and recognise that past. And that's why the struggle for an independent Australia must stand in solidarity with the First Peoples' struggles for justice, self-determination and against colonisation. Because genuine... Because genuine Australian independence can never be achieved without the sovereignty of Australia's First Peoples. Our struggle and vision for an independent Australia cannot be a racist one. It must be a multicultural one that takes to the heart the true spirit of Eureka, the spirit expressed so clearly by Italian miner Raffaello Carboni when he called on his fellow diggers, irrespective of nationality, religion or colour, to salute the Southern Cross as the refuge of all the oppressed from all countries on earth. Those are the sorts of values and principles that Spirit of Eureka fights for, and that's the kind of vision of Australian independence that Spirit of Eureka organises towards. From every corner of the world, they came from all around. When in 1851 they struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields 
was ruled by brutish thugs, discrimination and taxation mixed with swinging billy clubs. The gold was getting scarcer and cops were getting worse. The diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. The crown tried to divide them, giving preference to some. The diggers wouldn't have it. They said it's all of us or none. They built a stockade. While the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers Who'd risen to the call They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together and break the license laws. From twenty different nations they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the southern sun. The army thought it was over and things go their way But when 15,000 miners rallied a month later on the day The crown conceded everything, all of their demands They'd won an end to license fees, the right to vote and land So here's to Joe and Charlie